So what I want to do tonight is I want to delve into something really powerful, something really inspiring, but I want to start off with, with a story. It's a story of two girls. And these girls had very different childhoods. One had a childhood that you'd think would be incredible. She was born into a wealthy family. She was athletic and brilliant. She had a great personality and everyone liked her and she was popular and everything was going well and her life was going well. And she was miserable. She was miserable. She was depressed. She was full of anxiety and no one understood why. And this girl grew up and just never, like everything fell apart. She went into literally just this cascading downfall and everyone just was wondering why, like she grew up with the most incredible opportunities. And then there's this girl, Paula Shoshana, who grew up with you'd think the worst life imaginable. Her father passed away when she was a kid and she had a really rough childhood. Her mother really struggled to support the family. And in every single part of her life, it just seemed to be a struggle. She had health difficulties. She really struggled in school. She wasn't popular. She didn't have a lot of friends. And what ended up happening is that she devoted her life to just step-by-step figuring it out, and she was the happiest person that you'd ever meet. And you look at these two people, and one grows up with all the opportunity in the world, everything seems to be perfect, and she's the most miserable person you'll ever see. The other person seems to have nothing, every excuse in the world to be miserable, to say, oh my gosh, I wish I had someone else's life. Oh my gosh, I wish my life was better. I wish things wouldn't be the way they are. Why couldn't I have been born to a different family? Why did I have to get sick? Why does no one like me? But she was the happiest person ever. And you want to ask yourself, like, I, I see people at different stages in life, and they really, it's, it's one of the most interesting things. Happiness is something that you'd think everyone is yearning for, but no one knows how to figure it out. And everyone is struggling in some area of life. But one of the most fundamental questions is what is happiness really about? And we have this famous concept from Chazal. Uh, our sages tell us, And when, other, when we enter into other, we're supposed to increase in Simcha. And it seems that Simcha is important. It seems that happiness is important. And also, when we enter into the month of Av, you decrease in Simcha. So I'm going to challenge you because I want to I want to really delve deep into some very powerful Torah concepts, and we're not going to just you know focus on the surface level inspiration, which is important. But I really want to delve something something very profound, something that will really require you to commit to really thinking this through with me. But I want to enter into what the nature of happiness is, and I'm more than happy to you know spend some time answering questions at the end, but for the sake of really building this, let's, let's hold the questions till the end. And, and let's try to delve deep because the questions are kind of multiple questions. Number one is what's happiness? Number two is why do we 
get happier when we enter into other and what does it have to do with perm like what what does happiness and other have to do with perm and we're entering into other we're entering into perm this is something which we're about to go into and yeah there's you know the the surface level of every aspect of living a Torah life is you go through the motions. So you come to other, you go to Purim, you dress up, you go to Shachmanos, you, you know scream when Hamad's name is, is mentioned, and it's it's all fun. But there's so much depth here. There's so, and that's that's the beauty of Torah is that there's always a next layer, a next level deeper. And when you live an extraordinary life, when you want to really actualize your potential, you want to be the best definition you can be, you want to live life at the highest level possible. You don't want to reject the surface and say, I'm only looking for depth. You don't want to say, I'm only looking for inspiration. You want to really learn how to think things through. And being a thoughtful person, thinking about on just a very simple level, like why do you do what you do? Right? Why do you, just on a day-to-day -day basis, why do you spend time with the people you spend with? Why do you talk about what you talk about? Just starting to think about your life, about the choices you're making, the direction you're heading in, you start to live a very different life. And what I want to do is I want to start by building a very important foundation for the purpose of life, which is that Hashem wants you to be happy. That's a very important thing, right? If you do a we're supposed to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu with happiness. Now, if we're supposed to serve Hashem with happiness, it seems that happiness is important. We're supposed to increase in Simcha when we enter into other. What, what's happiness? So I want to suggest three levels, three different aspects of how to attain happiness. The, the first, and perhaps the most important, and we can kind of align these with three Gs, the letter G, right? The first G is growth. When you are growing, you are by definition happy because the way that Chazal, the way that the Bali Machshava, the way that the deeper Torah thinkers talk about happiness is that happiness comes from an expansion of self. So for example, when you learn something new, when you come up with a new idea, when you're developing a new skill, developing new talent, when you're working on a relationship, when you're eating a new food, when you're engaging in something novel, something new, something that opens you up to new parts of yourself, where you discover new parts of yourself, where you're working on new parts of yourself, you feel happy. Now, happy is not an emotion. Pleasure is a, is a, is a physical state, right? You eat something delicious, you feel pleasure. Happiness is a state of being. It's when you've devoted yourself to a certain focus and you're challenging yourself and you feel yourself growing, you feel happy. So progress is the key to happiness. Now, go back to those two girls we just talked about. Happiness is not having everything. It's not having opportunities, not being wealthy, it's not being famous or being popular, or having friends or being beautiful. It's not the having. It's when you feel like you're on a journey. It's when you feel like you're making progress and I just, I'm learning new things. I'm becoming a better version of myself. I feel like my life's going somewhere. I feel like I'm heading in the right direction. I have goals, but I'm like right now in the present on a journey to something better. And what ends up happening is that if you feel like your life isn't going anywhere, if you feel like you're just stuck and nothing's, I'm not improving, I'm not growing, nothing's really 
that's when you feel this emptiness. And it's when you really start to get in touch with yourself, your self-aware, you start to think like, why do I do what I do? How am I going to get better? How am I going to really actualize my potential? And you're on that journey. That's when you feel happy. It's like one of my favorite stories is a guy is climbing a mountain. And he, he decided he's going to climb this mountain. That was something that he really wanted to do. He's spent a couple of weeks thinking about how he's going to climb the mountain. And he finally gets all of his, he gets a knapsack full of food and supplies and he's climbing this mountain. He's working his way up and a helicopter flies by. And as this helicopter flies by, the guy in the helicopter sees him climbing the mountain and says, excuse me, where are you going? So the guy says, I'm climbing this mountain. So he says, oh, you know, I'm actually flying in that direction. Why don't you just hop in the helicopter? I'll take you up to the top of the mountain. And the guy says, no, you don't understand. I don't want to be on top of the mountain. I want to climb. And that itself, just that idea that I want to be growing, I don't want to be finished, it's something that very few people ever understand. A lot of people, they want to have everything, right? So they want to be finished by school. They want to have amazing friends. They want to know everything, but they don't enjoy studying. They don't enjoy building relationships. They don't enjoy doing the work. And because they don't enjoy the work, they actually really don't enjoy the experience itself. And what's really interesting is that once you learn to enjoy the process, your whole life changes. So for example, there are people who really don't enjoy learning Torah. They don't enjoy performing mitzvahs, but they do it because Hashem wants to do it. That's the first step. That's important. But the ideal is to fall in love with Torah, to fall in love with Avodah Hashem, to fall in love with mitzvahs, to make it so meaningful that you're drawn to it. It's like for a lot of people, there are elements of life that they really hate it, but they do it because they think it's right. That's not the ideal. The ideal is to fall in love with growth. And the way you fall in love with it is to enjoy, is to recognize how far you're coming. It's like, if you have a goal and you're going along that goal as, and you're growing every single day, it's the greatest life imaginable. But if in your mind, all you want is to be finished, then you're going to hate every single day because you, every single day you're not finished. So if your goal is to be finished with school, you're going to hate your life until you're finished with school. If your goal is to be married, you're going to hate your life until you're married. If your goal is to be brilliant and know all of Torah, you're going to hate your life until you know all of Torah, unless your goal is twofold. Of course I want to get there, but I also want to grow there. And then I start enjoying the process. Right, so that's a whole different way of approaching growth, which is that it's not only about being at the destination, it's about enjoying the process. And the next G of growth, the first is growth. The next G of happiness is as important as it is to have those goals and to focus on that growth and to really be, in a certain sense, heading towards an incredible destination you want to be able to thank Hashem for everything you already have. Because I, and I work with a lot of people who are very successful. I work with a lot of Jewish leaders and business owners, people who are doing amazing things. One of the biggest struggles of someone who has a lot of goals is that they're focused on the future. So they're focused on what they haven't yet accomplished, what they don't yet have. 
And one of the big problems is that you can always, always be waiting to be happy because you're always focused on a future moment. So what's really important is to, yes, enjoy the process of growth, but you also want to think about how much you have in your life. You want to think about the fact that you're alive. You want to think about the fact that you have a family. You want to think about the fact that you have food on the table. You want to think about the fact that you have friends. You want to think about the fact that you, there's so much that you have in your life. And the moment that you're not only goal-oriented, but you also focus on Hakar Satov. Hakar Satov literally means Hakara, to recognize Hatov, the good. Hakar Satov is recognizing all the good that Hashem's already given you. Now, so I'll give you an example. There was, I one time had a, had a colleague, a friend, who was very, was just having a really down time, really was sad and borderline depressed, just having a really bad time. And he just felt that nothing was going right in his life. He felt like he had nothing, like absolutely nothing. And I asked him, I said, if you weren't able to see, how much would you pay to be able to see? And he thought about it and he said, I'd, I'd give anything. I said, would you, you know, how much money would you pay? He said, I'd give as much money as I had. I'd, I'd pay, you know, literally anything. So I said, you, you literally have sight. So that means that you're wealthy beyond your imagination. And he thought, he's like, wow, I never thought about it that way. But so often we focus on what we don't have. And it's important to focus on what you don't have from an idealistic perspective, because you want to grow. So it's not like, oh, I'm perfect the way I am. You're not perfect the way you are. The goal of this world, the reason Hashem created us is to actualize our potential, to fulfill our purpose, to grow and to become the best versions of ourselves that we can become. You're perfect the way you are in the sense that you don't need to prove anything to anyone else. And you're as good as you've ever been. And that's perfect in terms of right now. But in terms of tomorrow, in terms of the direction you're going, you want to have this perfect balance of I'm perfect the way I am, but I can't be that way tomorrow because my goal of life is to grow. But I'm also not going to get stuck in the future. I'm going to recognize how much I already have. So it's this brilliant interplay of future, present, and past. Right? I'm in the present. I'm heading towards a great future. And I'm learning from the past and recognizing all the good that Hashem has already given me. And once you realize how much you have... You can hear this a million times that you know you've never been in anyone else's shoes and you don't know what anyone else is going through. But the moment you realize that you have no idea what anyone else is going through, and that your life is your life, it's the life that Hashem has given you to experience and to grow from, and that no one has your strengths, no one has your weaknesses, no one has your DNA, no one has your fingerprint, no one has your personality. Literally, Hashem created you as a unique version of you. And your happiness comes from becoming the best version of you, growing every single day, but also recognizing how much Hashem has given you and being grateful and saying, wow, my life is a gift. Like, thank you, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem, for today. Thank you, Hashem, for everything. And it takes recognizing that we grow from our challenges to even thank Hashem for our challenges. It's like, if you want to build muscle, <clears throat> The way you build muscles, you have to rip the muscle fiber apart, right? So literally, you have to like destroy the muscle. And by ripping the muscle, it grows stronger. So the Ramban explains that Hashem challenges us to help us grow, to help us actualize our potential. 
it's not there for Hashem to see if we're capable of overcoming the challenge. It's there for us to, to, to for Hashem to reveal to us what we're capable of. And, and that's a beautiful way of approaching. So you basically are able, and, and by the way, the moment you realize how very often the challenges that you go through were the best things that ever happened to you. Like for me personally, the challenges that destroyed me, that broke my life apart, that hurt me, that made me feel broken, those are the best things that ever happened to me because I am who I am today because of that. And if you're not old enough to really be able to see how they were the best things, it's really hard to hear that, especially if right now you're going through a real struggle and you just don't really know why it's happening. You don't know how there's something good coming from this. <clears throat> but a hundred out of a hundred times, if you live long enough and you're self-aware enough, you can see how the biggest struggles you're facing right now, the worst things that are happening to you are the biggest bracha because it's building you. There's a great line that challenges can break you or build you, but the choice is yours. So recognizing the good in the challenge is one of the most powerful perspectives you can ever develop. And it changes your life because the moment you recognize that the things that very often we kind of say like, there's a lot of good in my life, there's a lot of bad in my life. The moment you realize that even the bad in your life is potentially good, right? it changes. Like, why did that have to happen? I don't know yet, but one day I'll see. But right now I'm going to focus on not being broken by the challenge, but using it to figure out how I can become a better version of myself. And that's number three. Number three, in terms of happiness, is that we already have growth. We have of gratitude. But then we have a very powerful third element. And that third element is what I'd call, it's giving, but it's much more than just giving. It's becoming part of something bigger than yourself. Because when it comes to the life that we're living, Everyone wants to be happy. Everyone wants to feel like their life is meaningful. They want to feel that, you know, they're, you know, popular or important or significant, that people like them. But what you really want is you want to feel part of something bigger than yourself. That's why people enjoy, you know, concerts where they just feel, you know, the kumzis, everyone closing their eyes, we're just part of Kleistral, everyone just feels connected. It's why people enjoy relationships because we enjoy being part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And in a very deep sense, the depth is not in receiving the fact that we're part of bigger than ourselves. This is one of the most powerful principles in Torah, is that the way to build a relationship, the way to build love, the way to really feel that you're part of something bigger than yourself is to give. <clears throat> which is why the root of ahava, love, is have, to give. And it's very simple. What do you love right now? Like, who do you, you love? By definition, you love yourself. Rav Dessler talks about this. Why do you love yourself? Because you are yourself, right? That's, you experience your thoughts. You experience yourself. You love yourself. Now, do you love other people? That's a good question. So who do you love? So you love the people that you give yourself to. And it's very simple. Think of it like this. When you come up with an idea, or if you write something, if you're an artist and you create a painting, or if you're a musician and you write a piece of music, you love it. Why do you love it? Because it's literally, it's, it's an expression of you. And you love every 
expression of yourself because you love yourself. You have to love your fellow neighbor like you love yourself. You have to love yourself first. And that's an important thing. How do you love yourself? You love yourself by getting in touch with yourself. How do you get in touch with yourself? By growing. So when you're growing, when you're really becoming the person you're capable of becoming, <clears throat> you're in love with yourself in a very deep, meaningful way. How do you love other people? You give yourself to them. Why, why, why does that make you love them? Why is the root of ahava have? Because when you give yourself to someone, let's talk about a marriage. In marriage, a husband and wife, they give themselves to each other. Right? So that means time, that means energy, and that means, you know, in terms of building the relationship, but giving your ideas, sharing yourself with the other person, and, and really building that relationship. When you give yourself to the other person, what happens? Because you've given yourself to them, they now become an extension of you. Because what? Because anything that you devote yourself to and give yourself to, you see as an extension expression of yourself. And even though you could say, no, that person's different than me, they're over there, but because you've given yourself to them, you've built a shared self. And you start to realize that at root, and this is a very deep thing, it's not just a practical thing. And that's the depth of Bashert, and we can talk about Bashert a different time, but the depth of marriage is you're really tapping into a deeper shared self that is actually bigger than the two of you. That's why Adam and Chava, Chazal say, Rashi quotes the famous Medrash, that Adam and Chava were originally created as one. And then they were born, Hashem basically pulled them apart. Why? Because the goal of marriage is to recreate that connection, recreate that oneness. And at a very deep level, all of Klai Yisrael is also one. All of the, the entire Jewish people, which is why when the Torah talks about happiness, it always talks about it, you, almost always, in the context of the Chagim. Of when we're Olil Rekel, when we go down to Shlai for the Chagim, for the Shosh Regalim, for and the reason why is because the real depth of happiness is realizing you're part of Kal Yisrael. You're part of a family. You're part of a nation. You're part of one people. And by the Chagim, all of Kal Yisrael would come together as a single people. No matter where you live, no matter where you're from, no matter who you are, we're all one. And so many people feel lonely. They feel like they're just isolated in their own world. No one really understands them. No one knows them. They're, they're really struggling. And a large part of their happiness is lacking because even if, and this is, by the way, a lot of people are lone rangers. They'll kind of do their own thing, right? They'll learn what they want, do what they want, whatever. And a lot of these people are very goal-oriented and they're growing. They really are. Maybe they're even very grateful. But if you're an individual who's not part of something bigger, if not part of a kahila community at Sibur, a klal, if you don't have real relationships, if you don't really feel like you're part of klal Israel, you just feel empty. And the growth won't satiate you because you're not, the deepest part of you is not a yachid. The deepest part of you is not an individual. The deepest part of you is your yachid who's part of a klal, part of a tzibur. You don't lose your individuality. It's not like, oh, I have to give myself up and I'm just part of the Jewish people. No, you're also an individual. It's like a tree. A tree has that root, that has that trunk, which is that which connects all the different branches and millions of leaves together. And every leaf is an individual leaf, but you're part of a tree. Every cell in the human body is part of the human body. It's an individual cell. You're, you're an individual. You have your experience, your kohos, your unique tafkid, your unique purpose, but you're also part of something bigger than yourself. And that interplay 
that interplay is so powerful because it's that interplay where you're able to really say, I want to be growing as an individual. I want to have a karasatov, recognize how much Hashem's given me, but I also want to be part of Christ. I also want to devote my growth to the Jewish people. So think of it like this. It's like, you're an individual, but you're part of a family. And when you get married, you're part of a marriage. And when you have a family, you're part of a family, but you're also part of a community. That community is part of you know, a larger community. And we're all part of Christ. In a deeper sense, we're all part of humanity, but we're all part of Christ. And when you devote your life to say, who am I? Like, why am I here? What, what unique purpose do I have? What unique abilities do I have? How can I become the best version of myself? And how can I give my life, devote my life to Hashem and the Jewish people? whether that's teaching, whether that's art, whether that's mathematics, whether that's being a psychologist, whether that's helping in this, whether it's doing this, what's your ability? Who are you? What are you going to do with your life? And when you really find yourself actualizing your unique potential and devoting your life to Kleinstrom, that's when you really feel like you have a sense of purpose. And that's when you feel happiest. Because when you feel like you're growing and becoming the real version of you, your whole life changes. And that's really the depth of Misha Nichnas Adar, Marvin Mesecha, Misha Nichnas Av, Marvin Mesecha, is that Adar is where we're, we're really tapping into that heightened sense of self. We're expanding our sense of self. We're becoming our true self. Av is the opposite. Av, Tisha B'Av, is where the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. What's the Beis HaMikdash? We, we don't have time to really develop this in full, but the Beis HaMikdash is essentially the... Makom, it's the place where we connect most deeply to Hashem. So when the base I make was destroyed, there was a piece of ourself that was destroyed. Like we lost access to our connection to Hashem in a very deep way. We also lost access to a connection to who we're supposed to be. And Klai Yisrael themselves were sent into Gullah. So our whole self was basically broken. And our national self, Klai Yisrael, was broken. And our connection to Hashem was broken. It's literally the opposite happiness, which is what, which is an expansion of self, connecting to Hashem, connecting to ourselves. What's Adar? What happened in Purim? It's literally rebuilding that lost connection that happened in Av, right? In, in Av, Klai Yisrael was broken. We essentially were, were, were sent into exile, into Gullus, and we were broken as a people. What happened in Adar? What happened in Purim? What was the, the what happened? Haman said, "You're an Amufuzar Mufurad. You're a broken nation." What happened? Mordechai said, "Well, you have to daven. We have to fast, and we rebuilt the oneness of Klai. So It was literally we did teshuva. We 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 recreated the the real identity who we're supposed to be as a as a as a Jewish people. And then what happened? We used the money, the the the, the money that was collected at the end. Of, of the Megillah, Megillah's Esther, we use that to rebuild the Beis HaMikdash. So literally, Av is where everything is broken, the Beis HaMikdash is broken, the Jewish people are broken, Adar is where the Jewish people are reunified as a single connected nation, real oneness, right? Who's like a, a, a real single unified nation? And we rebuilt the Beis HaMikdash. So it's really tapping into connection and becoming who we're supposed to become. That's the, the real essence of happiness. And the more as an individual that you say, okay, I'm in this world, why am I here? What am I doing here? What's my purpose? 
What do I struggle with? What am I good at? How can I really maximize on my natural talents? And how can I work on the things that I struggle with? How can I find, like, do I enjoy music? Do I enjoy, what type of Torah do I enjoy? Do people open up to me? Am I very interpersonal? Or am I more analytical and rational, mathematical? Uh, and by the way, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Am I a little more of an entrepreneur? Do I like to kind of, you know, sell things? Am I, you know, a little bit business savvy? Am I, like, are you an athlete? You want to focus and identify the things that Hashem gave you naturally. And you also want to identify what skills do you want to develop? And a really good way is what's called the circle exercise, is you draw two circles. One is you write everything that you are. The other is you write everything that you're not. And you just work on your self-awareness. Where are my skills? Where are my talents? Like, who am I? And what do I struggle with? What am I not? And the more you know what you are, the more you'll be able to identify what you're not and vice versa. The more you know what you're not, the more you know what you are. And you can work on developing what you are. And you don't have to be everything, but you can say, right now, I'm not really talented in this area, but I want to get better at it. So I start. it's like, that's how you figure out who you are, is you try things out. You literally try things out. And I can tell you personally, like I play music now and Baruch Hashem, I'm able to write music, I'm able to do lots of things. It took me months to even be able to sound okay. I taught myself to play guitar and piano when I was 17. And once you devote your life to exploring your abilities, to saying, what can I do? What can I become? You start to grow, and when you're growing, you're also and you're also devoting that growth to something bigger than yourself, your community, your family, your friends. You feel like your life is going somewhere. You feel like your life is meaningful, and that's the real essence. And that is really the distinction between those two girls we talked about in the beginning, is that you can have everything in life, but if you're not growing, if you're not pushing yourself, if you're not seeing what you're capable of, you're going to feel so empty and depressed. And if you are growing, it doesn't matter how many challenges you have. It doesn't matter how big of a struggle your life is. Everyone else can think like, wow, you must be miserable, but you can be so happy inside. It's like you look at, just to give you a very tangible example, you look at someone in the gym, they're ripping their muscles and, and it looks painful, but they're in pure joy. They're actually paying to it. If an alien looked through the window and saw that, they think like someone's pointing a gun to their head, making them do it. They're paying to do that. Why? Because they know that they're growing because of it. And the endorphins that are released when you're exercising makes it feel so enjoyable. So the most enjoyable moments are when literally your body's been broken. It's the same way for every area of life, emotional growth, intellectual growth, spiritual growth, working on your self-awareness, financial growth, building your relationships. Every point of growth happens at that breaking point where you're struggling. And it's at that struggling point, at that breaking point that you grow. And that's when you feel happy is when you're growing. It's not when it's easy. When life is easy, you're feeling very bored. You're feeling bored and you're feeling almost like, like this is why I'm here. Like, I'm here to just kind of cruise. A lot of people kind of ride their natural talents. So, for example, a lot of people, let's say you don't have to study and you can do really well in school. You think that kind of you have it easy, but it's not easy because when life gets difficult, you don't have the muscle to work through it because you were only able to succeed when things were easy. Being able, it's, by the way, why people who are born into wealthy families struggle because they're given everything as a gift when it comes to really earning and working hard. They don't know how. They were never at forced to. But when you learn how to build that work ethic, to struggle and push and grow and figure out ways to say, I'm not going to only do what's easy for me. I'm going to do that too. For example, let's say someone's a singer and they never, they don't have to practice. It comes easy. They're natural singer. 
it's one thing to ride off of your talent, but turning your talent into a skill as in getting better at what comes easy to you, turning the natural talent into a skill, that's where you really achieve something great. And that's where you enjoy it because you're growing. And you don't, you can say like, okay, I'm talented in this, but I'm really struggling this. So I'm going to work on growing in the area that I'm not so naturally good at. So not our focus, but you only really feel alive when you're growing. And this is really the essence of the story of Purim, because this is what Haman and Amalek comes to really attack. And there's different ways of approaching this, but I think one of the best ways of approaching what Amalek really comes to do is with with the following story. So imagine someone is going, we have a person climbing a mountain, so now we'll have a person taking a, taking a hike, taking a hike in the middle of nowhere. And they decided this was gonna be their vacation, right? So we'll call her Devorah, and Devorah goes into just, you know, into the middle of nowhere and she's going on this hike. And she's having a really good time. She's having a very stressful week, decides to just have a little break by herself. Doesn't tell anyone where she's going. And all of a sudden she starts to slip and she realizes she was on the edge of a cliff and she falls off on the edge of this cliff and she's in the middle of falling and she manages to hold on to this one branch. And she's thinking like, no one knows where I am. And this is it. Like this is the end. Like I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna die. I, I, I don't know what to do. Like I'm literally like I can't pull myself up. No one knows I'm here. And I'm, I'm like, she's thinking about her life and like what she did, what she didn't do, the people she knew, her loved ones, her friends, her family. And she's saying Shema. She's ready to. Like she just can't hold on that much longer. And all of a sudden, she sees a rope thrown off of the edge of the cliff. And. She holds onto this rope and she screams and says, can you pull me up? And the person on the other end of the rope pulls her up and she sees it's this middle-aged man. And she says like, how did you know? How did you know that I was down there? Like, I, like no, no one knew I was here. And he said, oh, actually, I didn't know you were there. I was just practicing throwing ropes off of the edge of a cliff. Now, what would Devorah's response be? So you can have two responses, right? One is, oh my gosh, thank you, Hashem. This is the most incredible Hashkacha story ever. Oh my gosh, this is amazing, amazing. But you can have another response, which is, okay, that was cool. Like, what are the chances? That was the most, that was, what, literally, like, what are the chances that happened? Totally happenstance, but like, I got lucky. I'm the luckiest person in the world. And one person says, everything comes from Hashem. The other person says, yeah, like everything in the world, everything in this world is random, but do you know I got lucky? Now, when you live with a Torah mindset, you see Hashem in your life always, like everything comes from Hashem. Like you have to put in the effort, you have to put in the shamas, you have be, you have bechir, you have free will, but the results, everything comes from Hashem. And when things happen in your life, you say like, wow, thank you, Hashem. Talk about gratitude. Amalek comes to say no. Amalek comes to say nothing comes from Hashem. There is no hashkacha. Nothing in your life is meaningful. Essentially, Amalek comes to say that your life isn't going anywhere. 
Right? That's why the word machar, tomorrow, always comes up in reference to Amalek. Right? Moshe says, like, all the times Amalek comes up, the word machar comes up because Amalek attacks machar. Amalek says, the world isn't going anywhere. Your life isn't going anywhere. Your life has no meaning or purpose. You have no meaning or purpose. You're not unique. You're not special. We're a bunch of evolved chimpanzees, which is why Amalek also has Amal Kuf, means the work of the monkey. Right? We're just a bunch of uh, evolutionarily advanced monkeys, and, and you're not special. And you have no connection to Hashem. Hashem has no connection to you. What's with this, this Narishka you're talking about? And why, like, where does this come from? So Amalek, when does Amalek first attack Kla Yisrael? Right, does anyone know? Anyone want to mention in the, in the comments? When does, when does Amalek first attack Kla Yisrael? Correct. Okay, so we have a couple, a couple of people suggested. So they attack on the Minbar, but when? They attack right before Ma'an Torah. So why do they attack right before Ma'an Torah? Because essentially, what's the Torah? The Torah is our purpose, right? It's literally what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. And what happens is that Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim, when we left Mitzrayim, when we left Egypt, that was when Hashem revealed himself to the world. Right, that was the, the, the grand reveal Hashem exists. Ramban explains that some people say Hashem doesn't exist. Some people say Hashem doesn't know what's going on in the world. Some people say that Hashem knows what's going on in the world, but he's not really involved. He's not all powerful. So Ramban says that Mitzvah sometimes knocked everything away. It showed that Hashem exists. He's very much knows what's going on in the world. He's all powerful. It was basically Hashem revealing himself to the world. But what was Ma'an Torah? Hashem was revealing what our purpose as the Jewish people is, which is to reveal Hashem in the world, to live as, you know, B'Tselem Elohim, to live godly lives, a life devoted to the truth, a life revealing Hashem in the world. What's Amalek say? Amalek says that. Like Amalek attacks that and says, like, Hashem has nothing to do with this world. And they attack the Torah because the Torah reveals Hashem is in this world. And our job is to reveal Hashem in this world. And Amalek says, absolutely not. Like their entire ethos, their philosophy is that there's no connection between the physical and the spiritual. We are literally living meaningless lives in the physical world. You have no connection to Hashem. So the words of the Pasuk, when Amalek attacks, says, Shir Karcha Baderach. And Rashi gives three explanations of why the Torah uses the word Asher Karcha. What's Karcha? So the first is what we just talked about, Kara, happenstance, right? So it's saying that Amalek happened to be on, you know, in the middle of the midbar and happened to just be there, you know, knives in hand, ready to attack Kaisal. But like, there's no meaning behind anything. It's not like something that's, you know, was thought out and there's no meaning behind what's going to happen. It's essentially saying everything in the world is happenstance. So when things happen to you and in in you're, you know, you're kind of going through your day, going through your week, going through your life, and things happen to you. Things happen that seem to be really good. Things happen that seem to be really bad. There's no meaning behind it. You got lucky. You didn't get lucky. It's not coming from Hashem. There's no hashkacha. So, and that's, by the way, why the gematria, for those of you who understand, you know, gematrias can seem like they're kind of meaningless, especially when you kind of throw them away, like throw them out there, like this is the gematria that, this is the gematria that. But when you learn how to reveal the depth of the gematria, why certain things are the gematria of other things, you realize how it's deep. So the gematria of a malik is suffolk. Suffolk is depth. And one of the crucial components that really makes people struggle in life is doubt. When they really doubt themselves, am I good enough? Am I capable enough? 
Does Hashem love me? Do I have a purpose? Is there Hashem? Is there anything? What should I do today? What should I focus on? What should I, I, I want to grow, but I don't know what to grow in. I can grow in anything. And there's all these doubts of what should I do? What can I do? Will I fail? Shouldn't I fail? What will people think of me? All of these thoughts in your mind and doubt cripples you. Doubt makes you question everything and questions are good. But when the questions come from a place of doubt, of, of like, is this worth it? Am, is anything worth it? Should I really do anything? Then the doubt essentially destroys anything productive, which is very related to some of the other things we'll get to. Because the second one, Asher Rashi quotes as Keri, which is spiritual impurity, which essentially Amalek says there's no depth, there's no meaning behind the male-female connection. There's no real depth in marriage. As in marriage, just an animalistic thing, just to have children and, you know, for pleasure. It's not for anything meaningful. There's no real deeper spiritual command. The Ramban says that the real depth of marriage, the, the ultimate paradigm, an example of marriage is the relationship between Klai Yisrael and Hashem. And man and wife are able to enter into the most spiritual bond, which is not a physical, animalistic bond. It's uplifting the physical into something very spiritual. The Amalek says, no, nothing in this world is meaningful. The carry is spiritual impurity in relation to marriage, saying that there, and by the way, who's Amalek literally is a nation. Who does Amalek come from? It comes from Aliphaz, who's a son of Asaf, who had was married to a concubine, which is not like a real marriage. So the creation of Amalek was with a marriage that wasn't a real relationship. It was a very physical relationship, which really gets into like the underlying spiritual nature of Amalek's philosophy, which is very powerful. But the third component, and this is, gets back to the concept of doubt, is Ashrakar Chabadarach also has the root of kar, which is cold. What's the idea of cold? So Rashi gives an example of uh, essentially a pot that's a boiling pot of water. And that boiling pot of water, someone jumps in and gets burned, but cools down the flame. So kar means to cool off. So essentially, Amalek represents, Amalek does represent Leitzanas, which is Matari. But essentially, it's cooling off a flame. So have you ever been at a shear or been at something where, like, literally it's the most inspiring thing ever? And everyone's inspired. Everyone's thinking, like, wow, this is amazing. And then, like, no one's really speaking on silent. And then someone cracks a joke. And, like, everyone kind of, like, chuckles. And, like, the, everything that was there that was so powerful just destroyed in a second. Because that, insp that inspirational, passionate flame that was kind of ignited in everyone is just put out like that because someone decided to destroy the power of the moment. So that's what Amalek was trying to do. They basically said, like, Klaish was about to go receive the Torah. We're going to put out that flame. We're going to cool off that inspiration. And that's really, in a sense, a very deep, a very deep component of what Purim is really about. Because if you really think about it, really think about it, what was our victory over Haman? What is the purpose of Purim? Purim is a time in history where there's no more miracles. There's no more, we're at the end of prophecy. Hashem's not openly revealing himself. Like right now, if you think about it in your life, have you ever seen Hashem? Has Hashem ever spoken to you? Have you ever seen an open miracle? Like 
the real miracle, and this is what the Rambam, the Rambam says, that the Nisim Niflaim by Yitzhak Shem where Megala the Nisim Niflaim, that you start to realize that a miracle is not something that happens once in history, but that everything's a miracle. Not only Einstein famous for saying you can view everything in the world as a miracle or nothing as a miracle. It's a very deep Torah concept that the fact that you're alive right now, the fact that you're breathing, everything in your life is a miracle. And what Amalek, what Haman, what that ideology comes to say is that nothing is a miracle. We live in a world where there's literally nothing. And the mask, why do we wear masks on part? There's really a couple of components. One is the mask of the world, that the world seems to hide Hashem. Can't see Hashem. Where's Hashem? So oh, Hashem took the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. Where's Hashem? Hashem gave the Klai Yisrael the Torah. Where's Hashem? So once you realize that everything, Nefesh Hashem talks about how everything in the world is a constant miracle. Hashem didn't create the world once in the beginning, Barashas Barayla came and everything since is just kind of nature taking its course. Every single, it's kind of like, a great analogy to think of this is that what do you mean Hashem's constantly creating the world? It sounds crazy, right? Uh, literally, we, we say, um, we say every day in davening, Hashem's constantly creating the world anew. What does that mean? So right now, think in your head. Imagine a person, right? Give her a name, give her a background, give her you know clothing, and, and give her a personality. Right? Her name is Chana. And now you're thinking about this woman, Stop thinking about her. What happens when you stop thinking about her? She disappears. She doesn't exist. Now, that's the same idea of Hashem willing us into existence every single second. If Hashem didn't create us right now, we wouldn't exist. It's only because Hashem's creating us that we exist. So now, everything in the world is a miracle because everything in the world is something that Hashem's created. So it's not a one time in history where Hashem did the Makos and Mitzrayim and that's the miraculous element of life. It's that everything in life is a miracle. The fact that you're alive, that you're breathing, that you have everything and anything working is a miracle. And not just a fluffy, inspiring, like, oh, it's a miracle that we're alive. No, literally, it's a miracle. Right? And the second component of the mask of Purim is not just to reveal, to take off the mask and reveal Hashem and say that Hashem is, is very much a part of your life in a very deep way. But it's for us to take off our own masks. You know, we dress up in Purim, right? And that's weird. Why do we dress up? It's to reveal the fact that what we're wearing now on Purim is not us. When we take off these clothes, when we take off the mask, we're revealing the real us. But that means something because the truth is that's not actually true, that's an ideal. The truth is that we're all wearing masks because no one really knows who you are, right? I mean, you're still working on knowing who you are, but no one really knows who you are. No one knows what you're going through. No one knows what you're struggling with. No one really knows what you want to say, what you're really feeling inside. No one sees your thoughts. No one knows your emotions. We're all hiding. And part of the reason we're hiding is because we're afraid to be seen. We're afraid that if we're real, 
if we let our guard down, we're vulnerable, if we open up, if we share what we actually think and believe and who we are and what we're actually going through and the things that are going in life, we're afraid that we're not going to be understood. We're afraid that people will judge us. We're afraid that people will reject us. We're afraid that maybe we're not good enough for ourselves. So we hide. We hide from everyone. And eventually we end up hiding from ourselves to the point that we don't even remember that we're hiding from certain things and we just forget who we are. And the real depth of Purim is taking the journey to ourself, which is why you know, I, I named the name of my say for my book, The Journey to Ultimate Self, because the goal of Torah is to help you become your best self. Right? So the subtitle, the subtitle of the book is called Lech Lecha, because the journey to, like Avram was told, Lech Lecha, go, he wasn't told where to go, because the, the whole purpose of life is Lech Lecha doesn't just mean go, it means Lech Lecha, go, Lech Lecha, to yourself. The journey to yourself is, is a vulnerable journey. You have to be willing to really figure out who you are. Take off that mask and grow. And that's the mission because true happiness comes when you're on that journey. And that's the brilliance of life is that when you commit to really going on a journey in life and, and that's if you don't realize that that's what Torah is, if you think Torah is just checking off a box and saying, I learned Torah to make Hashem happy, you don't realize that Torah is designed to open you up to, it's like when you have a chemical reaction, right? certain elements in science combine with each other and there's an explosion. Why? Because things came in contact with each other and there was a reaction. When you, when your neshama interacts with certain Torah, there should be a chemical reaction. You should literally like feel like, when you hear an idea and it changes your life, there's reasons, because that's what Torah is supposed to do. It's supposed to open you up, open your mind up, open your experience, help you see the world in a deeper way, help you connect to yourself and Hashem and Kleishel in a deeper way. That's the essence of Torah. And that's it's also why life is hard, because life is about the growth, and growth doesn't happen when it's easy. It's, it's literally, if you think about it, Adar, Adar is where... This is a very deep idea. I'm challenging all of you tonight because we're going very deep. But the essence of Adar is where it seems that the inspiration is lost. It seems that the light is lost. It seems that everything's falling apart. If you think about it, Adar is the last month of the year. Now, the way the Chazal, the way the Bali Machshava talk about the year is that the year doesn't just happen. It's almost like the year has, think of it like a battery. Like the, the energy in a battery runs out, like a light bulb runs out. So the year, its energy runs out. So at the end of the day, you're very tired because your energy, it's why you need to sleep. You need to recharge. You wake up reborn anew, so to speak. It's literally every single morning. So the last month of the year is literally the lifeline. It's like if you play a video game and you see like someone's like about to die, like that lifeline of the year is up. So other... I mean, there's two ends of the year, two beginnings of the year. We have Nisan for Pesach, and we have, um, in terms of Rosh Hashanah's, you know, also the, the beginning of the year, two elements. But under is one end of the year. And that's why spiritually, in terms of the way Chazal talked about it, it's like the year is dying. It's literally death. So the tank, the energy tank of, of Shefa, of the energy of the, of the world, is dying. Nisan is the rebirth. It's literally a, a, a new beginning, especially for Klai Yisrael. So the, the energy is ending. And that's why, why did Haman get so excited that the poor for Purim came out in Adar? 
he got so excited because he saw that Moshe died in Adar. So literally, Adar is death. And that's why Haman got so excited. But that's the depth of Adar, is that everything flips. You think it's the end, it's really the beginning. You think it's death, it's really birth. You think everything's falling apart, everything just being built. You think everything is literally just disintegrating. No, everything's being born. It's the re-beginning. It's where you literally think that everything is going wrong and everything's going right. It's powerful. It's powerful. What's the v'nhafachu what's of Perm, literally? Like everything, like Vashti died, that was really just so Esther can be brought in. And Haman set the gals from Monachai, those were the gals for him. Haman set a date for the Jewish people to be destroyed, those are the dates, that was the date that the Jewish people had a massive victory. Um, you know, Haman set up this amazing thing when Achashash asked him what should um, this person get if, they, if the king wants to reward him. Haman gave this amazing thing thinking it was for himself and went to Mordechai. Everything gets flipped. Everything gets flipped. Here's where it gets flipped even more. Haman got so excited because Adar is where Moshe died. What didn't he realize? Adar, the seventh of others, also when Moshe is born. Haman got so excited, he's going to destroy Klai Israel. He's going to destroy the Torah. What happens on Purim? It's a rebirth of Torah. Kimu v'kiblu. Klai Israel re-accepted the Torah in a deeper way, a way that they had never done before. It's literally the rebirth of Klai Israel. It's a new year, which ends up what? Nisan. It's literally Nisan Pesach is when Klai Israel is born. It's literally the birth of the new year. So that's the deepest element, the deepest element of, of Purim is to recognize that it's the darkest of times. It's the biggest challenges. It's when you feel broken. It's when you feel the most hurt. It's when you feel like there's no hope. That's where something incredible is being born. That's where everything is going to turn. That's the turning point. And you start to realize that the only reason you were able to achieve and become the amazing person you became and all those amazing things that happened were because of the brokenness, not despite it. It was because of the darkest, not despite it. And that's why Chazal say that it's only in a dark room that a candle shines bright. If you have a light room, a lit room, in this room, if I lit a candle, it wouldn't do much. But when there's darkness and then you shine a light, that's amazing. And that's what other is. It's a time where you feel, I mean, we're in the middle of winter, right? It's kind of a depressing time. The days are short, the nights are long, it's cold. But there's something beautiful about that. And by the way, like that's, that's a big theme of Hanukkah too, of building that light in the darkness. That's why, because I'll say that, Adam Arishan, after he sinned, he saw the days getting shorter and shorter and shorter. He thought they were going to get shorter until there was no more light. And then the first day that it flipped and the day was a little longer and it was shorter, he realized, no, like the world's not coming to an end. It's not going to just be darkness. Like we're going back uphill. And that's the depth of Hanukkah and Purim. It's, both of them are really times where the Vu is ending. We don't have open miracles and we have to choose to see Hashem. We have to choose to find meaning in our lives. And that's really the deepest idea of this time period is that inspiration is always nice. You're inspired when you have a vision, a dream, a goal, something great happens, you start something new, you build a new relationship, things are going well. It's nice to have the inspiring times in life. But it's when the inspiration fades, when things aren't going so well, that's where life really 
becomes not only more important to grow in those areas, but that's where the real growth happens. And it's like, this is one of the deepest concepts in Torah, is that there's always an initial stage of inspiration for everything. You start off a relationship, everything's amazing, it's different, and then things start to become a little boring and sour, you start to fight a little bit. You eat a new food, the first bite's amazing, it's delicious. Eat a couple more bites, it's, ah, it's just food. Right? You start learning a new idea. It's amazing, but then it gets a little, you have to like struggle to figure it out. That's like, ah, I don't want to do that. It's, uh, it's not. You, 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 every single process in life starts out inspiring. And literally, like, we're, we're, we just finished in terms of, you know, the, the, where we're up to in, in the Parsha. We just finished the story of ETS and Mitzrayim. And, and you, you look at the story of ETS and say, like, what's going on? Like we come out of Mitzrayim, it's amazing. Hashem reveals himself to the world. And then we go through a midbar. And it's like one challenge after another. And Klai Yishol is complaining. And the Mesodinim and Amalek. And this, like, why are we facing all these challenges? What happened to the inspiration of Hashem revealed himself? And the reason is, and this is the Ramchal and, and the Ramban and the Maral, many, many deep thinkers talk about this important concept. Is that the inspiration is there. The initial stage when everything seems so amazing. It's there to show you what you could accomplish, but you didn't earn it. And then you lose it. Why do you lose it? So that you can build it yourself in the darkness when it's not easy. And that's really, because what happens after we rebuild it? You get to Ma'an Torah, right? You see some time, it's amazing. Go to the Midbar, challenge after challenge after challenge, but then we build it. That's Sphere Somer, right? You build step by step, counting from me to building from me to time to what? To Ma'an Torah. That's, by the way, and talk to you about the Midrash that says that originally Adam and Chavah were created as one. They're broken in part. Why? Because the goal of marriage is not to be one, it's to become one. You build it, you earn it. And that's really the second stage, right? The first stage is you get as a gift. The second stage is you lose it, you have to rebuild it. The third stage is you get back to that original stage, the stage of inspiration, but now you've built it. It wasn't a gift. You built it. That's why it's a famous Gemara that when we're in the womb, we learn called Torah Kula. And just before we're born, this mouth, this angel that teaches us everything, hits us on the mouth and we forget. So the question Chazal asks is like, and everyone asks is why? Like, what's the purpose of, of teaching in the first place if we're going to lose it? But the Vilna gives an amazing answer. He says, you didn't lose it. You lost access to it. And the goal of life is to literally relearn what you once learned. But here's the depth of it. It wasn't just Torah like Chumash and Rashi. You were being shown the purpose of the world, but more importantly, you were being shown your unique purpose, everything you're capable of becoming. And you lose it because your goal in this world, why are you here? You're here to become you. You're here to reactualize your dormant, your root potential, your fetal self. You're here to recreate that. Man and wife are there to recreate their original bond, their original union, their original oneness, their original connection, their original marriage. You, you're born into this world. You don't know where your spouse is. You have to meet them. And you have to build through a lifetime of work, build that marriage, all of life. It's about recognizing that the stage of inspiration when it's easy and inspiring and nice and fluffy and wonderful, that's not where the growth occurs. The growth occurs where it's difficult. So Purim is, there's no open miracle in Purim. It's darkness. There's no open revelation of Hashem. We're in Gullus. Things are falling apart, but we choose. Kimu Kibla. we chose to accept the Torah. We chose to see Hashem. We chose to actualize our potential and recreate that oneness. And that's the deepest idea when it comes to the deepest idea of happiness is realizing that happiness comes from 
the process of working on ourselves, of avodas Hashem, of perfecting ourselves step by step, realizing we're never going to be perfect. But the goal of life is not to be perfect, it's to grow. It's to head towards perfection, to become a little better every single day. And that's also, and I'll end with this, and then we can go to questions, because obviously this has been a lot. Um, and I'm sure that many of you are a little overwhelmed. I'm sure that many of you are just mind blown by the awesomeness of Torah. But there's a famous, famous pasuk that says that the reason why Hashem is ultimately going to send certain curses at certain times in Jewish history because we didn't serve Hashem with simcha, with happiness. What does, happy, what does happiness have to do with anything? What's simcha? We talked about this. Simcha is when you feel that you are growing and becoming the person you're destined to become. Why wouldn't you serve Hashem with simcha? If you feel like in order to serve Hashem, you have to give up who you are. The Hashem's will, the, the mitzvahs, the commandments, are different from who I'm supposed to become. But when would you feel happiness? So if do Hashem besimcha, if you realize that the essence of Avodos Hashem, the essence of mitzvahs, are helping you actualize your potential and become who you're supposed to become. Living life of purpose and meaning and truth and contribution and connection and love and wisdom. and Like, that's you. That's who you're capable and supposed to become. And when you realize, that's why the Maharal says, mitzvah comes from the root of tzavta, connection. So when an army, when an army gives, when like a general gives a, a, someone in the army a command, their goal is to tell them what to do. So the Maharal says a lot of people think mitzvahs are Hashem telling us what to do. That's part of it. Right? We, we are supposed to be obedient to the truth, but more importantly, the mitzvahs are mechanisms of connection. Tzavta means connection. Right? When, when you live a life of Odos Hashem, you live a life of Torah and mitzvahs, you're living a life connecting yourself to Hashem, connecting yourself to truth, connecting yourself to yourself, to who you're supposed to be. And that is a life of happiness. It's living a life of growth, of truth, of figuring out who you are, what you're capable of becoming, and just step by step, growing and becoming more every single day, enjoying every step of the process and devoting your life to Klai Yisrael, to Hashem, to a greater purpose, to something bigger than yourself, recognizing that when you devote your life to something bigger than yourself, that's actually when you discover who you really are. So this is a gateway into the deeper ideas of happiness, of simcha, of Purim, of other, and the deeper realm of Torah. And I hope that this was you know, very enlightening and inspiring for many of you. And I am absolutely happy to stay in for as long as we want. And I'm sure that many of you have, have questions, some of them more practical, some obviously more deeper and philosophical. And depending on, I don't know uh, how much time we have, I'll leave that up to, I'll leave that up to the people who coordinated this but I'm more than happy to delve into some questions. So do we have time for that? Hey, thank you so much. Yes, that was really, uh, really nice. Maybe we have like about like 10 minutes probably to have some questions. Is that good? That's perfect. That's perfect. So, do you want to ask the questions? Do you want me to just read through? So uh, I think the questions come directly to you. Okay, great. Um, so I'll start going through them. So one question I see is, do you have any tips on tefillah? So... This is obviously a topic that we can give hundreds of shirim on. This is an incredibly deep topic, but I'll give you just the ABCs in terms of making tefillah more meaningful. Because where people struggle with tefillah is like anyone would struggle with what is literally happening in tefillah, which is what's the purpose of tefillah? Who am I talking to? Why am I talking 
Hashem and what's actually happening, what's the purpose. So where people struggle both practically and philosophically is what's the purpose of davening, right? First of all, a lot of people don't know the meaning of the word, so they feel like they're literally just saying things they don't relate to, which is why it is important to add in your personal tefillah, especially in to add in every, every one of the brachos of Shemonesri has a theme. So when it comes to atachonein, you can literally talk to Hashem about the fact that you want to do well on a test and you want to grow in your chachman, you want to become a bigger, you know, you know, work on your intellectual abilities. When it comes to, you know, refinu, um, you want to talk about refuah, talk about you, anyone who needs a refuah, talk about you if you're, you know, working on, and if, let's say you're trying to get a job, you can talk about that. So one aspect is personalizing, but a much bigger part of tefillah is getting to the depth of what we're doing in tefillah. So a lot of people think that they're trying to change Hashem's mind, right? So Hashem, you know, please help me, give me this. Please do this for me. Please do that for me. And that's a little ridiculous because, first of all, Hashem already knows what you want. So you don't need to remind Hashem what you want. And second of all, you, you're not going to change Hashem's mind because you change Hashem's mind. Think, of, how do you change someone's mind? You change someone's mind by telling them something they didn't already know. So if they were gonna to go to a library and you tell them, oh, the library is actually closed. They're like, oh, I didn't know that, thank you. Like, okay, I won't go to the library. But if you tell them like, uh, you know, I really want this to happen. Give me a million dollars, please. Or I really wanna win this. Or I really want this to happen. If it's good for you, wouldn't Hashem give it to you? If it's bad for you, wouldn't Hashem not give it to you? You're not gonna like tell us like, if I would have and say, please Hashem, like, I really want this to happen. He's gonna be like, Reichman, you know, I wasn't going to do that, but now that you put it that way, I never thought of it like that. Like, you know, sure, you can have it. Like, it's not, it's ridiculous, right? So what's the purpose of davening? So the real depth of davening, and this is the way that many of the Baal talk about it, is that you're not trying to change Hashem's mind. You're trying to change yourself. It's hit balel. Hit balel means not to do something to someone else. It's something that you're doing to yourself is reflective. Reflexive. Why? Because the essence of davening is changing who you are because you are what you want. So for example, let's say I want, it's just, it's just very easy to talk about money because it's practical. Let's say someone's struggling financially and they daven for money. So maybe the reason Hashem is not giving you money is because you are not the type of person that would use that money well. But if you work on your midos, you work on yourself, you say, Hashem, I want this money so that I can live the life I'm supposed to live. As in, I want this money for you. Like, I'm doing this for a higher purpose. So you create yourself as a vessel who maybe three months ago you weren't deserving or capable of using that, and now you are. So same thing when it comes to chachma. You want to work on yourself to become a vessel for that. But more importantly, you want to ask yourself, and this is very key, when you're davening, what do you want? The things that you're davening for reveal who you really are, because you are, you are what you want. If you really want things that don't reflect higher values and a higher purpose, that really just shows like where you are right now, what's important to you. But when you're davening for something really meaningful, you're davening for things that really align with a higher type of life, that itself is working. That's why tefillah is called avodas haratun. It's avodas halev. It's working on yourself. So we're not going to go into meditation, but a lot of people say, like, oh, Judaism doesn't have meditation. I'll go to Buddhism. But tefillah is, is the highest form of meditation. It's the highest form of really working on yourself, working on your self-awareness, working on who you are, and working on what you want. The, the, in times of Chazal, the, 
the Dolan, the Gemara talks about how they spend an hour preparing for davening, an hour davening, an hour after davening. Why? Because they'd spend an hour elevating their thoughts and their mindfulness. They'd spend an hour actually davening, talking to Hashem, and they spend an hour bringing that back down into their life. So davening really, for a lot of people, is the most irrelevant part of their day where they don't connect to it at all. But when davening becomes meaningful, when you bring it to life, when you allow yourself to really feel like you're talking to Hashem, when you learn what the words mean, and you also add in your personal bakashas, and you realize that the more that you work, like think about it, like you're working on your wants, you're working on your wills, and you're working on your inner self. And then when davening turns into something that you really feel like I'm not shutting off, because a lot of people, I'll take three steps back for Shmanas, right? walk forward and they'll just go into la-la land, right? They'll be saying the words on autopilot where their mind's kind of flowing. It's like when you're on the, your pillow at night falling asleep and you think like, I had a good day today. And I, I talked to I talked to this person. Oh, I wonder where this person's going. Actually, last time I talked to that person, we went out to eat and like, well, I haven't been out to eat for a while. Like when was the last time? That was like three weeks ago. I got a sandwich. I actually had a sandwich today. But was, like your mind just literally goes from neural connection to neural connection. You, you're, you're literally like, in La La Land, just going in imaginative, like one thing to another thing. That's what happens for a lot of people now, right? They take three steps back, their mind's wandering, and they kind of like find themselves like bowing down for modem a couple minutes later. So once the avenue becomes real, like you really feel like you're talking to Hashem, you really feel like it has meaning and it has purpose, and you feel like you're not trying to change Hashem's mind, you're trying to really work on your relationship with yourself and with Hashem and work on what you want, then the avenue becomes truly, truly meaningful. And I think that, like, in essence, for some people, like, davening can be the highlight of their day if it becomes something that's done right. Um, okay, let's go on to the next question. Okay, so this is a good question. So someone asked, we talked earlier about believing that something that doesn't appear to be good is good, even though you can't yet see it. As in, the person said that, like, everyone tells me that, you know, I may have asked him when you, you know, go to Shemaya and you'll see, but like, it's really hard for me right now. So there's two real practical answers. One is to hear from people who are older than you, who have seen it and experienced it and to see that that happens and then to basically project it onto yourself. So the first stage is literally Amuna because if you haven't seen it yet, it's hard to believe it because you haven't seen it. The truth is that you have seen it. And the reason you've seen it is because life works in a hierarchy. So there are existential struggles that, you know, like someone has cancer, or their parent passes away, or their sibling passes away, or they lose a limb, or they get sick, or they lose all their money, or they're failing in school, or no one likes them. Like horrible, horrible things. Again, even within those things, there's a hierarchy. Not everything's equal. So you could have small examples where, you know, let's say someone... To give you a paradigm, someone didn't go to work on 9-11 and they worked in the Twin Towers, towers fall, their life is saved. Wow, oh my gosh, I thought it was going to be a horrible day. That was the best thing ever happened to me. Now, let's say on a smaller scale, you, you know, stub your toe and you end up not going to a certain thing because you stubbed your toe and you really hurt yourself. And because you did that, you went to something else and it turned out to be amazing because you met someone or some opportunity happened or something great happened. Or like you, you find the small examples in your life 
where it seemed to be bad, but it was really good. And then you basically say, okay, like what's a bigger example? And you get to the biggest example you can get in your own life where something was seemed to be really bad, but was really good. And then you say, even the cases where I don't yet see the good, I'm able to have enough experience of seeing the good from something that seems to be bad to believe that this will turn out to be for the good. So it's not just blind faith. Right? Blind faith is not a good idea at all. The highest, and this is really, you know, there's layers of believing in Hashem. Right? There's believing in Hashem because your parents told you to believe in Hashem. Then there's believing in Hashem because you experience Hashem in your life. You see hashkacha happen, you see things happening, and then intellectually and philosophically, you can get proofs and say, okay, the, you know, everything comes from something. You know, my, I come from my parents, this comes from this, you know, the food that I have comes from here, the milk comes from the cow. Like, where's the world come from? The world has to come from somewhere. Oh, okay, Big Bang. Where does Big Bang come from? Like, it must be that the world comes from Hashem. Or the world is so organized. Learn chemistry, learn biology. The world's so sophisticated and brilliant that the chances that this is just a random accident are, are literally impossible. And then you can get into a deeper sense where it's not just philosophical, but you start getting into a deeper realm of Amuna, which is the, the two deeper realms of Amuna are basically realizing that beyond just the intellectual believing in Hashem, there's believing in Hashem the same way that you believe in yourself. Like, how do you know you exist? You just know. You experience that. How do you know you're awake right now? How do you know you're not dreaming? That you're in the middle of a very inspiring fear? How, how do you know you're not dreaming? Right? You, you know. How do you know you have free will? How do you know, and this is like just in terms of like the limits of knowledge, how do you know your parents are your parents? How do you know that you weren't created 10 minutes ago with all of your memories. There's certain areas of life where you know it so deeply, it's not something you need to prove, it's you know it. So you want to get to the point of knowing Hashem in the same way, where it's not a philosophical question, but it's the same way that you know that you exist, you know that you're awake, you know that your life has meaning. You can't prove those things. But you know it. You want to get to that same point of knowing Hashem. And the real type of emuna is being faithful to the truth. It's not, that's why Hashem calls Avram and Ish Ne'eman. Way after they've been having a relationship for years, it's like Avram believes that Hashem exists. It's like a, a like in, in the dictionary, faith means something you cannot prove but believe anyways. It's blind faith, a leap of faith. In, in Torah, we don't believe in blind faith. It's Amuna. But what's Amuna? Amuna is being faithful to the truth. So it's one thing to know you're supposed to live a life of meaning and purpose. You're supposed to actualize your potential. You're supposed to take your life seriously, take your time seriously. You're supposed to be the person you're supposed to become. It's another thing to actually do it. A lot of people, they know, for example, I know this isn't healthy, but I still eat it. I know I shouldn't say that. I still say it. I know I shouldn't do that. I still do it. You can know it intellectually and not do it. It's to live the truth. That's the real difference. So that's really the same thing where it's once you get enough data, so to speak, to realize that things that appear bad can really be good, you want to give yourself permission to live by that, even if it's not absolutely clear. But that's a very, very good question. That's a very good question. Okay, this is perhaps one of the most practical questions, which I think everyone in the world, no matter how old you are, no matter how successful you are, no matter how anything you are struggles with, is how do I not base my happiness based on other people's approval of me? So if you really think about it, 
the, the answer to that, this is something which everyone struggles with. Everyone wants to be popular, wants to be approved, wants other people to like them, wants to be accepted. And most people do so much to get other people's approval. If you think about it, especially I remember when I was in high school, I would dress a certain way and act a certain way and talk a certain way just so that I felt like I fit in and just so that people would like me. And so many people live their whole lives trying to get other people to like them. So they'll do everything with the calculation saying, do they want me to do that? Am I going to be liked if I do that? Am I going to start talking about social media? I'll just like talking about like literally like your interactions. Social media is a great, <laughs> great showcase for how everyone's just trying to be liked by everyone else. But here's the truth. The truth is that let's say you go to school and you dress the way that you think people want you to dress. You talk the way that you think people want you to talk. And you show up and you eat what people are eating and you just literally, you play the game and you live your whole life trying to get approval. Now, obviously this is not the ideal, right? The ideal is that you literally live a life not caring what people think about you, which we'll talk about, because it's not that you don't care about what people think of you, it's that you don't live your life based on what people think of you. Your, your job is still to be a Kiddush Hashem, so you don't say like, it doesn't matter what people think, I'll just do it. No, like you wanna live a life where you're representing something, but let's talk about like the classic problem that people have, which is living your whole life just trying to get approval of others. Number one, you don't know what people think about you. Do you have that time of a day where everyone tells you, this is what we think of you. This is what we don't think of you. This is what, literally, when was the last time you ever heard anyone tell you what they think of you? I've never, like I, 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 Baruch Hashem, have reached millions of people, right? I, I speak all over the world. I speak, reach hundreds of thousands of people a month. Very few people on that scale ever really tell me what they think of. And when I was younger, like up until like I started going in the public world, no one told me what they thought of me ever, right? I don't know what people think of me. And here's the truth. The truth is that you will almost never hear what people think of you, ever. And yet... Most people live their entire lives worried about what people think of them and living according to what they think people think they want them to do. And tell me that's not crazy, but it gets crazier. Why do you live trying to make people like you? Because you have this belief that if people like you, then you'll like yourself. So what do people do? They literally put on the mask. They pretend to be someone they're not so that someone else will like them. Hoping that if they like them, they'll like themselves. What's the craziest part? Number one, you're never going to know if people, what people want or what people think of you, what people would want you to do in order to approve of you. That's number one. Number two is that who are the people, like, think about the people that you like most, the people that you literally just say, like, I love that person. It's the people who are the most genuine, real people you know. No one likes fake people. No one likes people who put on an act. So by you putting on an act, trying to get other people to like you, trying to get their approval, not only aren't you going to get their approval, but you're going to feel so fake. So you're not going to like yourself. They're not going to like you. And the whole thing makes no sense. Now, think of this. Now, this is a crazy thought experiment. What if you didn't care what people thought of you? What if you actually tried to be yourself and not like the... I'm talking about your higher self, not the like myself as in like the carefree doesn't really, I'm talking about like, what if you actually tried to become the person you're capable of becoming? 
What if you actually say like, I want to live my life the best possible way. I want to become the best version of me. I know some people might not understand that. I know I don't even know what that is yet, but I'm willing to do it. And I'm going to literally just be the most genuine, real version of me possible. You have to be You are going to love yourself because you're going to love yourself so much. You're going to be able to be the best version of yourself and give that version of yourself to other people. People are going to love this version of you because it's, you're being real. You're you. And that's the beauty of it is that once you stop caring about the approval of others, you will get their approval, but you're not going to care about it. And it's crazy. It's like, it's the same thing for honor. Right? When the Pikeravos talks about honor, honor covered, it says anyone who chases after cover doesn't get covered. Because the people who want respect and honor, it's so, it's so fake that no one is going to respect that type of person. It's the person who lives a life devoted to the truth, devoted to the Torah, devoted to Hashem, devoted to Klai Yisrael, not worried about covered and respect. That's the type of person we respect. The type of person that wants approval is not going to get approval. That person doesn't care about approval, is just trying to be their real self. That's the type of person who gets approval. It's crazy. It's a paradox. It's counterintuitive and it's brilliant. So the best advice, and this will literally, like, there are people who this will change the next 80 years of their life because they're stuck in this game where all they do is try to get social approval, friends' approval, family approval, everyone's approval. Once you say, like, listen, I have respect for everyone, but, like, I don't need your approval. Definitely not for my own self-worth and happiness. What's going to make me happy is by me being me. Then you're going to basically live the most amazing life. And the irony is that you end up getting much more approval. Um, do we have more time or are we out of time? I think you're, you're muted. Sorry. Maybe let's take one more. <laughs> okay. Um, do you have an email? I can reach out to you. I have a question. So my website has my email address, shmuelreichman.com. So anyone who has any questions, you can feel free to reach out to me. Um, Okay, so this is actually an important question. So the question basically revolves around depression. So everything we talked about today in terms of the nature of happiness, the counter to that is depression. Now, I'm not a clinical, we're not gonna talk about the clinical type of depression. We're not talking about medical depression. We're not talking about depression that is biologically induced, that is out of your control, that's beyond your free will. But there is an element of depression that almost everyone I know has experienced at one point in life. I've experienced at times in my life. It's basically a depression that reflects the opposite of everything we just said. Because what's happiness? Happiness is when you feel like you're becoming the real version of you. Happiness is when you feel like you're growing. Happiness is when you feel like your life has meaning and purpose, like you're, you have progress, like you're part of something bigger than yourself. Like your life actually is going in some incredible direction and what you do matters. Depression, from a psychological, spiritual perspective, is what happens when you feel like your life isn't going anywhere. It's when your life isn't going anywhere. It's when you're not growing. It's when you're literally coasting. You're not doing anything. You're not moving. You're not pushing. You're not growing. You're not choosing. You just kind of feel lost, and you feel empty. When you don't know who you are, you don't know why you are, and you're not going in any direction. And very often it starts with that small feeling of depression and then 
it causes you to not, remember this is Amalek, right? Doubt, paralysis. It's that like, what's the point of anything? Who, uh, what, why, do you, why do anything? And then you don't do anything, but then you go deeper into it. And essentially you end up in this like existential paralysis where your life is empty and you're floating and you feel just cold and dark and empty. And it's because you've entered into a state of non-movement, of non-growth, of non-existence, because real existence in this world is when you are growing and pushing and choosing and you're living a meaningful life, a purposeful life, building relationships, you're heading in a direction. So when you don't have that, you end up getting this feeling of depression and emptiness. And then the way to combat that, the best way to, to combat depression is literally to, to get moving. And the best way, by the way, is physical. Because it's very hard to get spiritually, emotionally, internally moving when you feel just like completely just no desire for it. No desire. But to get physically moving, like to just go on a run, to do exercise, you get your blood pumping, you get your mind pumping, you get your body pumping, it just, you get more alive. And that movement allows you to then get more movement. And once you get a little movement going, you can build momentum. Then you start to say like, wow, like, Maybe, maybe I could go somewhere. Maybe my life could go somewhere. Maybe I could get more direction. Maybe I could grow. And then that's why if you have a friend who's depressed, you want to literally just like get them moving, get them out of the house, get them just in the world. Because it's kind of like a seed grows and depression is the anti, like happiness grows because you get momentum, you start getting happier and happier, you're building, you're growing. Depression grows the same way in the downward spiral. You just get, it's like the, it's a famous concept of when Sadiq falls seven times and gets up seven times, what's the difference between Sadiq and Russia? Everyone falls, everyone gets hurt, everyone gets broken, everyone gets depressed. The only question is, are you going to stay there or are you going to build something back up? As in, can you, if you, a snowball effect, like if you have a snowball going down a mountain, it just gets bigger and bigger and cascades. If you're falling down a mountain, you want to stop and catch yourself and climb your way back up. But if you don't stop and you don't climb back up, what happens is that you start falling faster and faster and faster, and it gets harder and harder to stop. So that's really where life gets difficult is where you don't, if you don't catch yourself and get back moving, it feels harder to get back up. And the Amalek component, that doubt, that paralysis, that leads us, that like meaninglessness, it gets more and more effective and takes a stronger and stronger hold. So the best advice is to catch it early and to get moving and to really make the choice. Because a lot of these things are a choice. A lot of these things are like for someone to say, I'm, I'm a failure. No, you're not. Like, I am helpless. I'm hopeless. Uh, my life has no meaning. I'm never going to have friends. I'm never going to succeed. A lot as a choice, it's a story you tell yourself. And once you to say, like, I get to choose the story I tell myself. So I'm going to tell myself a different story. Hashem created me for an incredible purpose. I have so much potential. I've already done so much good. You want to say, like, where's the good in my life? Good in my life that Hashem has given me, the good in my life that I've earned, that I've developed, that I've accomplished. And then once you build a better story and once you get your body actually moving, so it's not just in your head, but you're actually moving, you can get yourself out of any state. So that's, by the way, everyone I know who's done amazing things with their life, they've all had stories that go like this. Like life is not like this or like this. Everyone's life is like this. But if you go you know, microscopic and you go micro, you can see just this or just this. 
But if you look at the trajectory of anyone's life, it's basically waves. And what you want is for the waves to be going in an upward direction. You want your overall trajectory to be up. And everyone who's growing is going to fail. It's going to have hard days. You just don't want, you don't want to have a bad week. You want to have a bad day where you reset and say, okay, things didn't work out yesterday. I'm not going to let that affect my today. I'm going to wake up. It's the biggest gift of sleep. You got to basically say today was today. And if it was a good day, I'm going to build off of that momentum. If it was a bad day, I'm going to cut it off. And then you essentially go up. Um, so that was a very good question. So obviously we can go on forever. I don't think we have time to do that. So this was an absolute, absolute as a pleasure to share words of Torah with everyone. If anyone wants to hear more Shiram or get more content, I have hundreds and hundreds of lectures and articles and things like that on my website, shmuelreichman.com. Also has a lot of other information if you want. If you want to send me an email, it has my email address. And uh, always happy to help in any way I can. And we should be inspired not just to tap into the depth and the Torah and the wisdom and the inspiration of tonight, but to really act on it and live it. And the goal really should be to use this to prepare to have the most meaningful other and the most meaningful part. So that's really the goal of learning Torah is to live it. And when you learn the Torah of a Zman of a time, it frames the way you enter into that Zman into that time. So we're about to enter into Rosh Chodesh Adar, into Adar. You can use the ideas that you resonated with and you connected with to really frame and prepare and help you so that your experience of Purim is as deep and meaningful and really significant as it possibly can be.